0: You know, Rob, one of my really pleasant surprise movies of the last couple of years, pleasant surprise because it was a movie based on a book, but it was a book I never actually read. What? And that was Ready Player <clears throat> One. I had never seen, I've never read Ready Player One. I know my wife read it and she loved it. And then she was listening to the audiobook as well when she'd be in the shower so I could hear a bunch of it. But all I knew is that Steven Spielberg was directing it. And I'm like, that's good enough for me. I didn't know what to expect from it because I didn't know much about the story, really. I I knew the basic synopsis. Loved the movie. Absolutely loved the movie. I thought it was a wonderful thrill ride, exciting adventure of a film. I I don't know how it compared to the book because I never did read the book, but that's okay. I thought the movie was fantastic. (laughs) Now, the author came out a while ago, and we knew that he was going to be making Ready Player Two. Well, a virtual New York Comic Con is going on right now, and the author of Ready Player Two, Uh, did an interview at it did a panel i think he was uh interviewed by will wheaton who did the narration of the audio version of ready player one before i guess he's going to be doing the narration for ready player two when it's ready as well and the author he decided to give out the synopsis of what ready player two is going to be about this is how he described ready player two said the following Days after winning Oasis founder James Halliday's contest Wade Watts makes a discovery that changes everything hidden within Halliday's vaults waiting for his heir to find lies a technological advancement that will once again change the world and make the Oasis a thousand times more wondrous and addictive than even Wade dreamed possible. He called it the matrix. No, I just made that up. Um, <laughs> With it comes a new riddle and a new quest, a last Easter egg from Holiday hinting at a mysterious prize, and an unexpected, impossibly powerful, and dangerous new rival awaits, one who will kill millions to get what he wants. Wade's life and the future of the Oasis are again at stake, but this time the fate of humanity also hangs in the balance. Lovingly nostalgic and wildly original, as only Ernst Klein could conceive it, Ready Player Two takes us on another imaginative, fun, action-packed adventure through this beloved virtual universe and jolts us thrillingly into the future once again. And that, of course, is the synopsis for Ready Player Two. Rob, I'll tell you what. I personally have a rule that says I will not read a book if I know the movie version is coming out, because when, when you read a book... It you create and paint the pictures in your head of what it's going to be and what what these characters are going to sound like and what they're going to look like. And then what I find quite often, not to mention the book is often several hundred pages longer than the screenplay can be. And so people set that as their expectation. And then when the movie comes out, even if the movie is extremely great, ah, eh, he didn't sound like it did in my head. And so I decide not to set myself up for that. So I So if a movie is coming out, I will not read the book first. The only well, Wait a time- minute.
1: Can yeah. I to ask you a question? Yes. If a movie has already come out and then the will sequel the is later? written. Yeah, well, no. The, the, oh. will, will you, would you read the sequel book? Because you already have the movie that's given you the world and the people. So you know what things look like. Does that change your rule? Like, would you read the sequel novel before seeing the movie?
0: You took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. Yeah, I will. All right. I, the, now, the only time I've broken that rule was – Hunger Games only because everybody, everybody on the planet was reading Hunger Games. And I remember I was even watching basketball one night and it was halftime and there's LeBron James in the locker room at halftime reading Hunger Games. I'm like, all right, like everybody's reading this. So I broke down and I read Hunger Games before the movie came out. Fine. But you're absolutely you nailed it, Rob. I mean. Now that I've seen mean, the movie, I didn't
1: mean to harsher. You know, move in on. No, I just no, it's, the it's it's well. You
0: called it. it. You, it's well called because now I've seen the first movie. I know yeah. what the world looks like. I know what these characters sound like. So now I can read this book. And I can have those voices and those images. Now, there's still that one danger. The fact is, like, some books can be 450 pages. The screenplay is probably going to be 120 pages. There's still that. But I will read this book. And I know Spielberg has already said that, yeah, if and when there's a sequel story ready to go, he would be interested in revisiting that world again. He didn't guarantee it. But color me interested. I want to see this. So I'm excited about this strictly because I love the first movie so much. And this sounds like a good follow-up. This sounds like it's consistent with that world they set up in the first one. It sounds like it takes it to the next level. So this all sounds good to me. I'm excited about it. Rob, you heard this synopsis. Do you like what you heard?
1: Well, I, you know, I did read the book and I the book was a lot of fun, but I had sort of mixed feelings about some of it, mostly about the references and all that, which, I you know, it was fun to read. But... You know, in terms of a a quick cash-in sequel, this actually sounds intriguing to me. I mean, it sounds like the the Halliday character would do something like this. So, look, even though I always think that once something's successful and you're going to write a second book or anything, sure, you're doing it for monetary reasons. But if you have a good story to tell, I don't object, you know. So, I'm in. I will definitely buy the hardcover like I bought the first hardcover I will read it the day it comes out and hopefully I will enjoy it hopefully indeed well guys the question
0: is what do you think about the sounds of ready player 2 I think it sounds great I love the first movie so I'm obviously very excited about a second a possible second I'm all on board with it jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts on that all right guys With that down, let's move into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here in The John Campion Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics by going anytime, 24-7, over to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get over there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe just maybe you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Matthew S., who writes, Hey John and team, I just saw Disney Plus post on Instagram that Soul will be streaming on Christmas Day instead of releasing in theaters late November as Disney continues to push back release dates and selectively more projects straight to streaming, is it more likely that AMC and other theaters will change their position on staying open? And what could this mean for other studios? Thanks. All right. Thanks for sending that in, man. And yes, as we said, would most likely happen once. I mean, look, Disney has been saying for a while, we're going to keep soul on November 20th. We're going to keep soul on November 20th. They moved Bond. They said, we're still keeping soul on November 20th. They moved Black Widow. We're still keeping soul on November 20th. But when it was announced that Regal was shutting down their theaters, Rob, you and I said on this show, "Mm, don't expect, don't expect to see soul on November 20th. If half of the theaters that are out there are going to be shutting down don't expect to be seeing uh, soul out there. This comes to us from the good folks over at variety who write Pixar soul is skipping theaters and will debut exclusively on Disney plus in time for Christmas. The animated family film will launch on the streaming service on December 25th in international markets where Disney plus isn't available. Soul will be released theatrically on a yet to be determined date. Unlike Mulan, which released on Disney Plus for an extra $30, Soul will be available to Disney Plus's 60.5 million subscribers at no extra cost. And the reason it's going to be there at no extra cost is because of the way they completely screwed everything up with Mulan. Uh, But we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Let's talk about here for a second first about Soul. This is not a surprise, you know, when now it is possible. It would have been possible that instead of moving it to Disney plus that they could have just moved the date again. But what have we been saying for months and what a lot of it's not just us. A lot of people have been saying this for months. The longer this pandemic stretches on, the more you're going to see some studios take some films that they don't even really want to put out on streaming. And if it's marginal, they're just going to have to. Why? Because they don't just have infinite release date possibilities. You know, we've talked a little bit on this show lately about the fact that 2021 is overfull. It's over full. Like 2021 was already pretty much, imagine a glass that's almost full up to the top with water, right? It had a full vibrant release schedule prior to the pandemic. 2021 had a pretty full vibrant release schedule. Well, now what's happened? We've had to take almost a year's worth of other movies from 2020, and a lot of them are trying to go into that. So now imagine taking a picture and trying to even pour more water into that cup. It's just going to start overflowing. Some get pushed off even further to 2022. Some have already been mentioned being pushed all the way out to 2023, and some movies just can't wait around that long, and they don't have any viable release dates. So what we've seen Disney do before is like, look, Artemis Fowl was not very good. And it wasn't going to make, a let's, let's just call it, Artemis Fowl wasn't going to make a lot of money. So what did they do? They said, all right, well, we'll take that and we'll put it on there. They tried an experiment with Mulan. That was an utter disaster. That cost them hundreds of millions to do what they did with Mulan, not to mention, as we talked about on the show, pissed a lot of their consumers off that they said, oh, yeah, you get it for 30 bucks, but you still don't own it. Like You still have to pay a $7 a month to see it. Oh, you're not a Disney Plus member? Oh, you get it for the same 30 bucks, but you get all the extra features. You get 4K and you get to keep it. You don't have to pay a $7 a month. Pissed a lot of people, including me as a Disney Plus subscriber off. So they weren't going to pull that nonsense again. So what did they do? They have soul and Rob, this might sound controversial. You may or may not agree with me on this, Rob, Mm -hmm. but I've said this for, for a little while now. Soul might, who knows, might end up being the best Pixar movie of all time. I don't know. I have no idea. I haven't seen it, but I've also had very little doubt that it was never going to be a giant blockbuster on the same scale. as Some other Pixar films simply because of the same thing of why it might be brilliant because of the subject matter. I think there are probably going to be a lot of families that go mm, don't want to take, you know, little Susie out on a movie about death and what happens after you die and blah, blah. I just think there's a lot of parents who are like, eh, my kid's not ready for something like that. Or maybe they'd want to go out and see it themselves first to see if it's good for them or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And listen, I trust Pixar. I do. But, you know, you're talking about, oh, here's a guy in a trailer. Oh, he dies. And what happens That's- after he dies? Where does the soul like? Is that something that so I've. I've just always thought that the subject matter, while it may make it an incredible movie, and I have all the trust in the world in Pixar, you know I've been pessimistic about commercially how big can it be. I'm not sure how big it can actually be. And so we've said for months, Rob, the longer this pandemic stretches out, the more and more some studios are going to have to look at some films and say, we can move this one and we can move this one. We can move this one. But at some point, we got to start slipping a couple of them more onto streaming. A Christmas release for a family film, using it as a hundred. What do they cost to make Soul? Like hundred and fifty million or something like that.
1: Oh, I'm sure. Let's yeah, let's go I mean, with hundred fifty an...
0: million. So look at it as you know what. It's a hundred and fifty million dollar marketing campaign for Disney Plus. We we are transitioning Soul from a theatrical release to a marketing campaign for Disney+. Plus. Look, they are still going to put out all their biggest guaranteed hits in theaters. Disney, more than any other studio, is very committed to the theatrical experience because they know that's where they make all their money. But I'm just not surprised that this was one they decided to move. It had already been delayed. 2021's getting packed. You got to put this thing out at some point. And compared to some of the other films that Disney has coming down the pipe, this one was probably not going to be as big at the box office as some of the other ones they have. So I got to tell you, Rob, I looking at this, I think it's probably a fairly shrewd move on their part. I think it's a fairly smart move. I think it would have been equally good if they could find another place to bump it to. They're still very committed to the theatrical uh, experience, but not surprised to see this. Rob, you saw this move of Soul. You surprised, not surprised, smart, not smart. How do you interpret
1: it? Well uh, again, you know with the amount of money that the these movies are are making, when they make when Pixar makes a movie there are projections that are are relied upon for the future. like they know okay Pixar movies make a certain amount of money between this and this. So on a, on a on 150 million spend, let's say, Pixar's got a pretty good track record. So they know they're gonna make 500 million, 750 million, a billion off of a Pixar movie. So, that's that's revenue that they've thrown away. Now, they've already spent marketing dollars on it, so there's already been a trailer. I, I don't know how much money, I mean, I don't know if there's toys and merchandising and all of that, but again, by moving it over to Disney Plus, they're still taking a major hit, yeah. a major financial hit, and while you said it, you said it, uh, it's a marketing ploy for Disney Plus, But again, the economics of what's going on now is, to me, fascinating. And I would love to read – like I wish I could read a breakdown of – like this is a perfect example. I'd love to read a breakdown of how much Pixar movies make. Like if we could even – they don't even have to get into a specific film, like a generic film, a generic Pixar movie. So I think I would just love to have a better understanding from a studio perspective how much they're eating because of this. I mean, mm. I've heard tenant tenant. Somebody said tenant's going to lose two hundred million dollars. You yeah, know, that's, or that, that's I, possible. I, I, and I look at this and I'm like, how is this happening? You know, why don't they just push these? I mean, I, I understand they borrowed money and all that. I talk about this all the time, but my God, is, could they not wait? Is it more money to wait? I, it just seems like. Because this is right up my alley. I was really looking forward to this, John. And I love seeing a Pixar movie in like a Dolby cinema with laser projection because they look so good and they sound so good. And, you know, I have a good sound system, but it's not the sound system in a movie theater. So I'm, I'm, I was really looking forward to seeing this in a theater. It's yet another, well, disappointment as a film fan for this year.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. But at the same time, I mean, you and I talked about this other thing before this one thing too before, which was they had already put out a couple of trailers for Seoul when they thought it was going to have that summer release. So they had put out right. a couple of trailers. Then they started, they didn't spend much recently. They spent a little bit of money on on propping it up for November. As a matter of fact, watching the NBA finals the other night, of course, ABC is owned by Disney, watching the NBA finals, they put were pushing Seoul November 20th. This is just a few days ago just a few days ago they were pushing Seoul, november 20th right so they spent a little bit of money on it there i think what comes into play here is something that we saw with new mutants which was at some point you have to look at when can we get this out and then how far out is too far out it's like right. so so it's 20 it's mid 2022 and now soul's coming up really that that hadn't come out like a year ago because remember not like you always point out rob not not everybody's like you and me where we follow the movie news daily and blah 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 right And and i i just think like you can only push it so far especially once you already started advertising it if they had never dropped one bit of advertising on soul i think they could they'd have more leeway for how far they could push it out but they this thing was advertised at the beginning of the year like eight months ago they were advertising this thing so how much further can they put if they can't find a good date for it in 2021, which has become overcrowded? Do you go as far out as 2020? At what point do the law of diminishing returns really kick in? And I mean, I don't have the answers. I'm just asking questions. Yeah. I, I, yeah, it's 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 it's. But again, it's like a lot of things, Rob. These studios, these theaters, these they're finding themselves in situations that they've never prepped for and that they could have never anticipated. And it's like, everybody's just doing the best they can. Guys, the question is, what do you think about this move? I I think it's an understandable move. I think of any of the films that Disney has on its slate right now, this is one that's probably poisoned. It had already been pushed before. Half the theaters are going to be, Regal was closing. There was going to be only half the theaters available to put out. in. I think it's a fairly reasonable move, and I'm not terribly surprised by it. What do you guys think about it, though? Jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by William DeBoer. And William DeBoer writes, Hey, John. A couple of years ago, we had a great string of solid little lower-budget horror movies, and my favorite out of all of them was Don't Breathe. I love Don't Breathe. Um, it is so funny. So Sorry. It's so funny that a couple of friends and I were talking the other day about wishing they'd do another, and then I just read that they just actually finished shooting the sequel. What did you think of the first one, and are you excited for the new one? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And Yeah. Count me in as a big fan of "Don't Breathe." Stephen Lang's little horror film. Some people say it's not horror; it's it's horror. It's there's no supernatural stuff in it, but it's horror nonetheless. Stephen oh, yeah. Lang's little film. It's tense. I remember I saw that in theater. I was it was me and John Schnepp went to go see it, at a press screen together. And we we came over like, oh my god! Like that was that was crazy fun. I enjoyed it a great deal. And, of course, at the, uh, at the end, it does leave it open-ended a little bit for if they want to come back. And if it was successful, they could come back and do a sequel. Well, they are doing a sequel. And whether it's completely finished shooting or not, I'm not 100% sure. What actually happened is Stephen Lang came out and said – He's finished shooting it, and he is the main character, so maybe they're still doing some pickup shots, but for all intents and purposes, basically speaking, they've done shooting Don't Breathe 2. Here's a little bit of breakdown of where they're going with Don't Breathe 2, and it's pretty interesting. This is what's written over at Bloody Disgusting. They write, Don't Breathe 2 is set several years after the home invasion of the first movie, with the blind man, as we know him, played by Stephen Lang, living in quiet solace, until his past sins catch up to him. Bloody disgusting was able to obtain more information learning that in Don't Breathe 2, the blind man has been hiding out for years in an isolated cabin and has taken in and raised a young orphaned girl, a young girl orphaned from a from a house fire. Their quiet existence is shattered when a group of kidnappers show up and take the girl, forcing the blind man to leave his safe haven to save her. So that is the synopsis and what were the information we're getting out of Don't Breathe Too. Of course, the interesting thing here is that this completely changes our perception and the perspective of the blind man, of Stephen Lang's blind man character. Because in the first film, spoiler alert, he's the boogie monster. He's he's the mm-hmm. guy everybody's running from. Like he's the bad guy, per se. Now, of course. In the first movie, one of the things I love about it was they set it up was like, no, this was a regular good man who had something horrible happen to him. And I, for those of you who maybe haven't seen it yet, I'll try, I won't I will give away the whole movie. But something unspeakably, heartbreakingly horrible happened to that guy. And <laughs> the best supervillains, Rob, you and I have said this before. The best supervillains are the ones that are born out of pain. Those are usually the best kind of super. And Blind Man's not a supervillain per se. And of course, he escapes at the end. He gets he gets away at the end as the, as the big monster. And now it looks like they're he's turning from the antagonist, and he's going to be the protagonist. I, I in really this like one. that. Yeah, like you read this, Rob. What's your take on this?
1: Well, you know, I, I think that they've flipped the script. I mean, what were they going to do? Have kids break into another a new house? <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I I love I love this idea because you know, he was a pretty monstrous villain, but there's a reason why he was monstrous. And I like that this carries forward the concepts of his character, like what he wanted and his ways that he was going about getting a family. in the first movie was pretty hardcore. So this, this seems to me a really interesting way to move this franchise forward. And, um, I I like the idea. I really, really, really like the first film a lot. It really knocked me out. It's so well directed.
0: Oh, and here's the thing. They did – one of the great things they did in that first one was that they they found a way to strike this really amazing balance between being absolutely horrified by what (laughs) this dude was doing. And yet, at the same time, understanding what brought him to that point, you as an audience member, in the midst of being repulsed by him and his actions, at the same time, you felt empathy for him because of what brought him to that point and what ha- – it's, it's incredible. It's a very difficult balancing line for a filmmaker to bring you, bring a character to – in some ways, it's kind of like Thanos, right? In some ways, like Thanos is like, this is horrific. He's trying to wipe out half the universe. He saw his home world destroyed. His, his his like all this kind of stuff. People wouldn't listen to him and blah blah. So Thanos was kind of a character that you were horrified by, yet also felt some empathy toward what his what his self perceived goals were. And they kind of did that with Blind Man as well. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can bring that full circle. Like when I sit down to watch this, Rob, am I going to see this heroic figure? who has taken in an orphan girl because of maybe he feels an attachment because of the way he lost his daughter or, or whatever. And, and now he's going to save her when some Batman or am all I going to see this monster that did a lot of the things that we saw him do in the first movie. And I don't know which one I'm going to see. Like, how am I going to perceive him? Can can we Rob, let me ask you this. Seriously, like understanding this character, are we going, and we don't know what they're going to try to do with him in the second one, but if they try to kind of make him the hero, are we as an audience who have seen the first film, are we going to be able to look at him as a hero? Like, are we going to be able to do that? What do you think?
1: Um, That's going to be – I mean, it's going to be tough because what he was trying to do in the first movie is pretty diabolically evil. <laughs> I mean, it's – it I'm, you know i I shouldn't say evil because – it's all what he's doing is all wrapped up in his pathology about and what he lost and what he's trying to get back. It's just that in, in order to do that, he's taken away the rights of other human beings, uh, in order to achieve his goals. And that I think is monstrously evil. That said, uh, however he got this, his ward, his, his young, his young charge, um, I think anytime you put a man into a position of a father figure where he's going to rescue a daughter or a surrogate daughter or anything, the audience immediately sympathizes with that plight. Mm. So if it's done well maybe we'll forget about the first movie for a while we saw a little bit of that
0: rambo last blood right with rambo yeah. last blood we, they gave us a little bit of t- that's a good observation that's really good question is guys what do you th- listen i'm not gonna lie i'm excited to see don't breathe too i find their description of trying to suddenly making him the anti or the protagonist that's kind of interesting are they gonna be able to pull it off i don't know guys question is what do you think about this jump down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts all right guys with that down Let's move into main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Rizzo's Gaming, who writes, Greetings, John. I hope your day has been going well. It has so far, Rizzo. Thanks for asking. I'll cut right to the chase. There is an article from The Hollywood Reporter that many other outlets have written similar articles about, which details that Doctor Strange would be making an appearance in Spider-Man 3 to presumably set up the multiverse. I'm more of thinking now it should be important to say that nobody has said it's it's specifically to set the multiverse. That's just what some people are speculating just to be clear. I'm more of thinking that it's going to be a mentor type role like Tony Stark in Homecoming, but wow, I can't even believe he's in this specific movie. What are your thoughts on Doctor Strange being added to Spider-Man 3? All right, thanks a lot for sending in that question, man. And this was actually something that came up during yesterday's show, in the closing uh, minutes or so sh- so of yesterday's John Campus show episode, this kind of broke. We talked about it briefly, said we'd talk about it a little bit more today. And I've had some more time to gestate on this and, and to think about this. But just to get you guys caught up to speed, here's specifically what The Hollywood Reporter is letting us know. The movie puts Benedict Cumberbatch in the mentor role. That was previously occupied by Robert Downey Jr. Who played Tony Stark slash Iron Man in Spider-Man homecoming and by Samuel L. Jackson in Spider-Man far from home, the latter reprising Nick Fury, the role gives Holland Tom Holland a chance to play opposite seasoned actors gives Peter Parker, a father figure and gives the movies extra star power while trying them uh, while tying while tying them to the greater Marvel cinematic universe that comes to us from the Hollywood reporter. So, Here's the basic gist of what I like and what makes me nervous. And I kind of mentioned this a little bit yesterday. What I like about this is that, hey, it's Benedict. <laughs> I mean, I love Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange. He's fantastic in the role. I love seeing him as in this. That's great. Uh, so more Doctor Strange, the better. And obviously, we are getting a lot of Doctor Strange. We're getting that. We're getting Do- Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness maybe there's, I've heard some whispers that maybe he actually pops up in one division for a moment. I haven't heard anything concrete that says that, but I mean, I've heard some whispers. Maybe that's a possibility. Whenever you bring Dr. Strange and that's great news, Rob, one of the things that I said yesterday that concerns me though, and that has been my ongoing criticism about the way the MCU has used Spider-Man and don't get me wrong. I love Tom Holland Spider-Man. I do. You guys have heard me talk about it. I love Tom Holland Spider-Man. I really love uh, Homecoming. I quite enjoyed Far From Home. I didn't think it was as good as Homecoming, but I quite enjoyed Far From Home. But my one constant criticism of how the MCU has dealt with Spider-Man has been that the MCU seems to have this attitude about Spider-Man that Spider-Man isn't good enough. Spider-Man's not cool enough, Rob. Don't know if you knew that. Spider-Man's not cool. <laughs> people aren't going to like Spider-Man. If you, The only way people are going to like Spider-Man is if you give him like Iron Man armor. Yeah, let's give him Iron Man armor. Then Spider-Man will be cool. But he's just some kid who's got super strength and shoots weapon. Ah, who cares about that? The kiddies love Iron Man armor. We got to make him Iron Man Jr. in order to be cool. Otherwise, no one's going to like him because Spider-Man isn't good enough on his own. That's the basic attitude that Disney and Marvel seem to have about the Spider-Man character that sort of carried over a bit as we got into Spider-Man far from home. When again, he needs mentors, Rob, he needs, got to have mentors. Tony's not there now. Okay. He's got Nick Fury and he's got Hap and they'll always be there to, to, you know, change his diaper for him and make him good and give him his brand new Iron Man armor. Cause once again, Spider-Man's not cool enough unless he has Iron Man armor. So by the end of the film, can't be a hero unless he's got Iron Man armor. He's just
1: fucking stupid. Anyway. What do you really think, John?
0: <laughs> so bad. Anyway. Because Spider-Man's not cool enough. Spider-Man's plenty cool. Anyway. And now, I was really kind of hoping, going into a third film now. A third film that by now... The MCU and Marvel would think, okay, we can take the training wheels off of Spider Man. We're in his third film now. He doesn't need a mentor anymore. He doesn't need a father figure anymore. All right. He's college age now. He's good. He's got the powers of the gods. Let him do his thing. And again, Rob, like I'm saying, I'm two brains on this. On the one half of the brain, I'm like, yes, Benedict's going to be there as Dr. Snake, blah, blah, blah. But I'm not going to lie to you, dude. I don't like the sound of now here's our new father figure and mentor for Spider-Man. Cause Spider-Man isn't cool enough on his own. And, and again, I don't know we're, maybe we see this movie and having Dr. Strange it's going to be the, the best movie. The MCU's ever done. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed for that. But again, to me, it reaffirms again, what I've always feared. The MCU just doesn't trust the character. Sony trusted the character. Sony trusts the Spider-Man character, is cool enough on his own, and that's why Sony has done a better Spider-Man movie than Marvel ever has or ever will. Spider-Man 2, to this day, is the best Spider-Man movie ever made. I would contend that Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse is the second best Spider-Man movie ever made, but but less I digress here. That is the part that concerns me, is that really... A third movie, we have to have somebody there holding Peter's hand and telling him when it's okay to cross the street. Do we need another one of those? And again, Rob, these are all just fears. Maybe the movie's not going to do that at all. Maybe it's going to be a totally different setup. Maybe what the Hollywood Reporter is hearing about Doctor Strange being another mentor figure is totally wrong and maybe be great, and, and that'll be wonderful. It's just what I'm concerned about. Rob, you hear this news about Benedict coming in as Dr. Strange, and that is glorious. That is glorious. But what do you like about the news? What do you don't like about the news? What are your thoughts on this in general?
1: Well, you know, I said on this show a couple days back that I did believe that we're going to see some kind of a mini crossover with yes, this multiverse did. idea, yep. beginning with WandaVision. I think this uh, supports that idea. I think that uh, I don't mind the idea of Spider-Man having a mentor of some kind, but I would rather like to believe that this supports the idea of bringing multiple Spider-Mans into this movie. That somehow whatever happens in the multiverse of madness has spilled over into this film or something. And And I know this is part of my theory, but. You know, the, the idea that maybe we'll see other spider man in this movie. Um, and I, I I like it. It's, you know, it's like what Marvel would do with their their summer annuals. They would have, a lot of the time they weren't the best stories in the world, but sometimes they were cool. And you'd have a crossover event that would spill over into multiple titles. And then it would be over. You know, it had a beginning, a middle, and an end. And the story would be over. So if they're doing sort of, maybe this is it. Maybe it's a mini trilogy that spans WandaVision, Multiverse of Madness, and Spider-Man, and then that that like the comics, they'll tell you an, a story with a beginning, a middle, and an end within that within that film. But then also, there's a larger narrative that if you watch all three things, um, you get something out of it. And I, I, I again, I can't I can't not say that that doesn't intrigue me and delight me as a longtime comic reader. So I kind of hope that's what they're doing.
0: And I mean, and look, it very well could be, and I I think you're probably right again. I just really, I just want to see them kind of acknowledge that Spider Man is good enough. You know, I, right. this, 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 because the way they've treated him up to, and again, I, I say that as if I haven't really enjoyed the movies and I completely have, I've completely enjoyed the movies. That one little thing has always irked me at the same time is that like, just guy, come on guys. Like Spider-Man is great. Let him be great without, you know, having to have his hand held, but we'll see where it goes from there. Uh question is guys, what do you think? about this news i think it's incredibly exciting it's also very intriguing going to rob here because remember we already heard about jamie foxx is going to be in this thing as electro of all things that messes it up even more in a really crazy bombastic kind of way how are you guys feeling about this news what do you like about it what maybe don't you like about it jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts all right guys with all that down and out of the way, we're now going to move on and start taking your live comments and questions. And once again, the way you get a comment or question on the show is simple. Just go to the tip link that's in the top of the description of this video and click on it there or enter it manually, streammoments.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. All right, guys, let's get on over and start taking your live questions. And we're going to get things started off here with Colby Harris, who writes, I went to see Empire Strikes Back Wednesday night, and I've seen it so many times, but this is my first time seeing it in the theater's amazing experience. Again, we talk about the little silver lining. It is so great that some people, despite the fact that it's been a movie wasteland, have been able to go back to some theaters and see movies, maybe for the first time in forever, maybe for the first time at all, or maybe for the first time the way it was meant to be seen on a big screen like that. You know, I was just talking to a friend of mine last night that I want to go back. I haven't watched Empire on a big screen in many years. And I may Mm. just go and do that this week. So I'm looking forward to that. So I'm glad you had that experience, Colby. All right, Stephen Johnstone uh, just sends in a tip. Thank you, Stephen. And then he follows up and writes, oh man, you're an Aaron debate over Oscars. Aaron and I had a very lively debate yesterday, which we always do, even when we're not on camera. Uh, What a a show. I was smiling from ear to ear. It was great. Thank you for that, John. I agree with both of you. I feel that there there has to be a middle ground somewhere. Smarter people than me, please fix us. We were debating about whether or not The Oscars should even have an Oscar ceremony in uh, April of 2021 uh, at this point. Aaron believed that they should. I believe they should not. I won't give my reasons for I believe they should not because Aaron's not here to defend her position. But uh, so we had two polar opposite positions on that. That's what we were going at, Stephen. All right. Next up, Prado Maldonado writes. Hey John, been a fan for a long time since before the AMC days. oh thanks, man. Uh, even remember seeing an ad for your show at an AMC theater when you got the studio. Anyway, keep up the great work, Rob. These that that was good times. Here's the thing. I this is one of Those my big were regrets. Good times. Uh, this is one of my biggest regrets. Is that and I'm, I'm airing a little bit of dirty laundry. This isn't anything I haven't said before. What is really – one of the really unfortunate things about the way everything fell apart at AMC was the fact that we were on the cusp of it really becoming everything I had designed it to be and everything we had envisioned it becoming. You know, when we started at AMC, uh, the company had no idea what to do with us like this little movie news division that was out in Los Angeles. Cause remember AMC is headquartered in Kansas and they were like, okay, go ahead and try this. And they gave us a little bit of money and uh, they gave us some, they gave us a converted storage closet at the AMC Burbank 16. I'm like, okay, you go and do your thing. And they pretty much just left us alone and ignored us except for my boss, you know, my boss, Justin. And for, other than that, they just kind of ignored us and left us alone. And then we got bigger and we got bigger, and then suddenly we were getting millions of views a month. And all of a sudden, as we started getting millions of views a month, all the departments in AMC suddenly wanted to have some influence in what we were doing, which is normal. That's normal corporate culture. So suddenly AMC Independent wanted us to do some stuff about AMC Independent. And we did, and it was wonderful. We did some, there was a we had some great staff that did some terrific AMC Independent stuff. Um, then all of a sudden this department want us to do things and this, and then all of it, And then we started getting bigger and then we started winning awards. And then before you knew it, we were getting like a hundred thousand views per episode. And then like, they were like, oh my gosh, we got to start running AMC movie talk commercials before movies. And so in theaters, they started running these things. And then I went to Las Vegas for the Academy of web television awards. We won best live series at, at and came back. And that's when everything started to fall apart because the the HR department, which is run by, in my personal opinion, a group of incompetent, moronic buffoons (laughs) uh, who can't pull their heads out of their own asses. And they they ruined everything. The HR department at AMC, uh, also known as the 18th level of hell, the the demons that came out of that shithole. Uh, ruined everything. And it led to me resigning. And then after I resigned, then they said, oh, we're going to shut down AMC. And I'm like, well, so I I took everything over to Complex. But anyway, uh, everything. But that it was right, Rob, when they actually started running AMC Movie Talk commercials in theaters. And I remember being in the theater the first time they played an AMC Movie Talk commercial. And it's like, this is now starting to get that fulfillment. And Never fails, some corporate donkey has to screw everything up. It's it's unfortunate. I, I regret nothing because that means I got to be where I am now. I now work for myself from home, doing great things here. I'm very happy. But, oh, oh. Rob, have you ever – in your creative endeavors, I ca- kind of got to imagine there has to have been a situation where – like a corporate interest came in or whatever and interfered with like a creative vision or something you were working on or doing or having some fun or success with, and something like that came in and ruined it.
1: <laughs> well, I was working on this fan film project. <laughs> oh yeah.
0: Don't go too into, don't,
1: don't yeah, go off but, on that. <laughs> but, but no, I, I mean, and, and by the way, rightfully so that there was interference there. I, I, I was told, I was totally in agreement with what that, that happened, what happened there. But, um, you know, in terms of interference, uh, yeah, there were. I mean, on along the same lines, the same topic. I was working on a project uh, that was for a very famous IP, and it was for an amusement park, a, 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 an attraction, and I was in charge of creating materials for this this attraction, and I had created. Uh, Uh, an epic masterpiece in my mind of, of video material that was going to play in this attraction. And when it was sent in for approval, they said that, that this piece of video uh, only celebrated one area of this IP that it didn't celebrate all areas. And I, I was like, yes, but it was supposed to be only about one area. And they're like, no, it's too much you need to pull it back and i worked on this thing so hard and i knew that it was it was my masterpiece and people would have loved it but i had to gut it i had to cut uh, it and and it was it was painful because it was like what what difference did it make it was totally an ego driven decision by the powers that be and i'm like cuz cuz the part of the ip that i was dealing with i mean i dealt with their part of the ip too but the part of the ip that i was dealing with was created before their their time so they didn't want it glorified as much as I glorified it. So, and that was maddening. I'm like, why not just, why not let it go? The audience will love it. What do you care? It's not like you're going to be walking through the attraction every day. What yep. are you going to do?
0: This We all got those stories, man. Oh, it's frustrating. All right, let's move on here. Next up, we've got um, uh, Avent, Aventium writes, With theaters having a lack of movies to show, would they consider showing big name movies who had chosen to go straight to VOD this year, like Bill and Ted and Mulan? (laughs) Just a one-time exception for these unprecedented times. Something is better than nothing. You know what, team, it's so funny you use that phrase. (laughs) Something is better than nothing. I actually had a conversation with a mutual friend of ours, Rob, maybe about two weeks ago about that very phrase, right? that something is better than nothing. That's not true. Actually, something quite often is not better than nothing. So for example, I mm. I was approached, I'm going to say about a year ago to put in finances for this project somebody wanted to do, and I was just not convinced, and it turned out I was right. Now, I I won't throw the project under the bus or anything like that, but it turned out I was right. I was not convinced that the project in question was going to be able to generate enough revenue that I would be able to recoup my investment, let alone make any money on it. And as it turns out, I was right, It couldn't. That's the case where doing nothing was better than doing something. In the case of movie theaters, Rob, you talk, you point this out all the time. A movie theater being open is not a free proposal. A movie theater just turning on the lights and opening the doors is a massively expensive thing for them to do. Yeah. Having a movie play on a screen that six people buy a ticket to actually costs the movie theaters money. They will end up being in the negative on that. Yeah. So there's a philosophical angle to this, Rob, where it's like, no, the theaters have a very strict, we have our theatrical window that has to be enforced and that has to be honored, blah, blah, blah. Plus, if you put Bill and Ted in theaters, listen, next to nobody saw it on Digital Street. They put out the official numbers, not bad for a little tiny film, but really nobody got it and even fewer people would have seen it in theaters. maybe a few more people would have seen it in theaters but not much more there's simply no incentive for people to go to the theaters to go watch it not to mention they're not going to put any money into for, to a marketing campaign for it they're not going to spend the studio is not going to spend 15 million dollars on on ad buys for this and no one's going to go see it it'll get Two, three people per screening in it, and that's a situation where something is not better than nothing. Nothing in that situation is actually better than something. I don't know, Rob. What do you what do you think about this idea? Taking these films that, whether it's a Trolls World Tour, or King of Staten Island, or what was the Seth Rogen one? American Pickle is that what it was called? Yeah. American Pickle or something like that, and putting that. Now that it's been released on VOD, putting that on screens, could there be an upside to that or would that be a losing proposition? How do you see it?
1: I, I Look, as much as I would like to think it would be a winning proposition, I just don't think it is. I, I, I think these movies, the ship has sailed. And we're now living in a world where, you know, the excitement over projects, John, there's so many things coming down the pike opening and streaming. I mean, Hey, one show ends, a new show begins that if something's already come out, putting it out in theaters, I mean, you can put out a 40 year old movie like empire strikes back and people will go see it. Maybe not in mass, but people will go see it because a lot of people never saw empire strikes back in the theater. But nowadays these new projects, if they're not, if they've already gone on to pay per view or whatever, SVOD that ship has sailed. You put those back into the movie theaters, it's not like people are going to get excited to go see something that they can currently see on TV that's already been there. I, yeah. I think you have to do do more.
0: I think you're absolutely right. You're you are much more likely to get people to go back to a theater for a beloved movie that they haven't seen in forever, certainly not seen on the big screen forever. That's just going to draw on more people than, say, Trolls World Tour. Well, you know,
1: they, the Arclight theaters have these – they always are screening classic movies. Yeah. You know, I've gone to the Arclight. I saw Raiders or you can go see Batman. And and what's surprising about those screenings is they're full. Yeah. You know, sometimes they're sold out because, you I, know, uh, generations never got to see these movies on the big screen. And it's so much fun. You know, you see a movie on video and you watch it 100,000 times. But when you see it on a big screen – even though you've seen it countless times before, you see things that you didn't notice. There's details, especially if you've only ever seen it on home video. When you see a movie, it's, a, it's like a revelation. And yeah. I think people go, you know? I mean, especially if they're big spectacles when you feel something. I, I went and saw Close Encounters at the Cinerama Dome a couple of years ago, and it was just – it was freaking awesome. You know, with the giants, the picture and the sound. I mean, it was when the mothership shows up, it was a wondrous religious experience. Again, I felt like I was, you know, 10, like when I saw it the first time. It was just, wow, this is rad. Yeah. I've seen the movie a thousand
0: times. OK, let's move on to the next one here. This one comes to us from Roll of the Egg, who writes, hey, John and Aaron. Aaron's not here today. Have you checked out the after show for the boys with Aisha Tyler? Um, the cast members are all crazy. On another note, uh, it was Julia Garner for Ozark. Yeah, that's who Aaron was thinking of yesterday. Her acceptance, along with uh, Zendaya's and Uza's, was so sweet and real. Come forth the filthy must. I have never watched the boys after show. And it's funny because I really like Aisha Tyler. I especially love her because I just started watching. I've been off it for a while. I don't know why. I love Archer. I love Mm -hmm. Archer. And I just started watching it again. Of course, that's where I know her best from. But she did a great job hosting DC fandom and stuff like that. She is a true, legitimate fangirl. Um, But no, I've never actually watched the after show. Honestly, I'm not all that into after shows that are done by the network that puts the show out because it's not honest it's not real it's like you're not going to hear critical things being said you're not going to hear there's the part that worked. here's the part it's just it's just a it's just more of the marketing for the show it's predetermined marketed kind of stuff and i'm sure the cast is great enough, but that's why i never got into the talking dead or anything like that's because I like after shows. I really – actually, I legitimately do. I like after shows. But I like it when it's done by people who are not connected to the show. That just means more. Have you ever watched that uh, that The Boys After Show? I haven't. To be honest, I
1: didn't know there was one until just
0: now. <laughs> ah, well, there you go. Um, by the way, have you seen the season finale of The Boys Season 2 yet?
1: Dude, I was watching it this morning, came on the show. I, I had to stop where a certain superhero shows up in a certain car where some of our characters are driving. And oh a certain yeah. That was a great scene. And, and that's where I ended. So I'm, I've got about 45 minutes left in the episode. <laughs> oh
0: dude, the way this, oh, oh, I can't wait to talk to you about it. Seriously. What a uh, side note, Rob, when you're done watching it today, call me. When you're done watching today, because I, I totally want to Okay. Sorry, we're way behind. We gotta start going through these questions a little bit faster here. So here we go. Tobias is a nev- is never is a never nude, writes by the time Doctor Strange 2 comes, it will have been six years, possibly seven, since his origin. But he will have but he will have been in four additional films in between. Shared universes aren't without problems, but I love that element and it also keeps audiences interested in him. I mean, yeah, listen, I I like – see, some people misinterpret and they think I don't like shared cinematic universe. I do. What I really grew to dislike was this obsession that everything only could be shared cinematic universe. Like that's the part that bothered me was that everything had to be connected. Everything – we couldn't get just good solid stories told like standalone stories. You can't tell that story unless somehow some way it ties into everything else that's going on. To me, that's boring. Like, to, whenever anything becomes all of just one thing, that's boring. So, I wouldn't want all just standalone stuff. That's why we got so excited when shared cinematic universe came along. the The down part to me was that then everybody's like, "Oh, you're making a Mr. Potato Head movie? How does it tie into Superman? Tell me how it ties into Superman." <laughs> like, everything had everything had to be that way, and that just started to make me sick. And that's why when they announced the Joker movie. And it was going to be standalone outside the universe. And you had all these people who will deny that they said it now, Rob. Today, nobody admits that they were. But I saw everybody on the internet was like, well, what's the point if it doesn't tie into Batman? What's the point? Well, if it's not tied into the DCU, what's the point? And now today, nobody will admit that they said that. But I remember y'all said it. But I was personally really excited, and the reason reason I was excited was because it's we get to see a standalone one shot, well written, well crafted story that whose creative hands aren't tied by yes, but. You know, how does it take into account the Kryptonian invasion of Metropolis? Yes, but how does it account for the flooding caused by the Atlanteans and Aquaman? No, no, no. It, it, It ignores all that shit because it's a standalone story in its own isolated universe. I just love that we're starting to get, and I love the fact that Walter Hamada is taking us there, that DC is introducing us to hey, guess what, guys? You can have both. You can have shared cinematic universe. And you can have standalone stories that aren't connected and aren't influenced by the other stuff being told. And if you want to say it's all under the umbrella of multiverse, go nuts. But I love that. I love what DC is doing with that. And so I really hope, I really hope at some point Kevin Feige will have the the testicular fortitude to say, you know what? I'm going to make, I'm going to make a, just pulling a name out of my ass here. I'm gonna make a Hank McCoy beast standalone movie that's not connected to the X-Men, not connected to to the MCU. It's just a standalone one-shot movie and have a killer-kick-ass storyteller come in and just tell that story and blah. But yeah, but don't get me wrong, I love the shared cinematic universe. I do. I just hate when everybody goes, Oh, that's great. Make everything that now. That's just the part that That bothers me. Anyway, uh, let's move on here. Uh, Let's see here. Russell Amador writes, Hey, John, with all this hoopla regarding the multiverse on the horizon, speculation at its finest. With the addition of Doctor Strange, do you think they may use this chance to also uh, just maybe shed light on Uncle Ben in an alternate reality? Rob, I'll tell you what. I hope not. I I don't think we need an Uncle Ben. I I wouldn't mind if in the course of a Spider-Man movie, there's flashbacks right. of his Uncle Ben, but I yeah, I don't think the I don't think we need an Uncle Ben, an alternate. I don't know. What do you think?
1: Well, I agree with you. I mean, you have returning to these singular events over and over and over and over again. I don't find to be very creative. You know, I mean, I'd rather a story show us a flashback of an event we've never heard about before. And add to the tapestry of the character. Right. You know, you go back to Uncle Ben. It's like, oh, OK, I get that. But what about another formative event? I mean, people aren't just formed by one event. Apparently, comic book characters are Batman, Spider-Man, <laughs> you know, but. All
0: right, let's move on here. Certified lover boy writes, since we're giving terrible Marvel villains, since we're we're Giving terrible Marvel villains from terrible Marvel movies another shot, like Electro. Who's up for seeing Triple H reply reprising his role from Blade 3 and Doctor Strange or Spider-Man? Come on, Feige. It's not like Hunter's busy at the moment. Hey, listen, my all-time favorite wrestler is Triple H. Kid you not. My all-time favorite wrestler is Triple H. Hunter Hurst Helmsley is my favorite guy. But Paul Levesque, I think that's his last name, is how he pronounced his last name. Uh Paul Triple H is not a great thespian. <laughs> He's not a great thespian, so while he's my all-time favorite wrestler, I I, I don't want to see him returning. I, I really I think he's doing good, perfectly good where he's at right now. Uh, Dwayne Jackson writes, "Hey, John and family, when theaters maybe, when theaters maybe not returning, and future projects getting dramatically scaled down or scrapped altogether, uh, did you think will studios will? Hmm, let me try reading this again. Did you probably meant do? Do you think?" studios will eventually become streaming services will studios evolve uh to this change of direction um well i mean there's two answers to that number one is we're already in a world where universal has peacock and warner brothers (laughs) has hbo and disney has disney plus Plus. And Paramount has Paramount Plus. And so they're all already there. They're, they're all developing multiple branches, right? They're going to have their theatrical, they're going to have their television, and they're going to have their streaming. They're all, it's just another branch, and they're all already doing it. But yeah, I've said before, if for whatever reason, movie theaters don't survive, and I think movie theaters will be perfectly fine, I've said this before, if they can survive to the point that the pandemic gets in the rearview mirror and they're able to start putting out movies again, if they can survive until then, and that's a big if. But if they do, theaters will be fine. But if they don't make it till then, you are going to see a massive change. You're going to see massive downscaling from the studios because what do you think funds all these branches that the studios do? What do you think funds all these movies? What do you th- It ain't streaming revenue. It's the theatrical revenue that funds all of it um so you're gonna see a massive change in the studios rob you and i've talked about this before there are a lot of people who very naively think that oh nothing will change if the theaters go away and it'll just end and then be on streaming and everything else will stay the same no it's not that that's a, that's a wonderful you know cotton candy clouds in the sky and everything's wonderful that's a great way to, but that's not the reality uh, again no. i was having dinner with a friend last night who was in the studio system and like just re-emphasizing people don't get it we, like we can't survive without the theaters Right. So, so it, I mean, and they will survive. If the theaters go away tomorrow, the studios will survive. But the entertainment landscape will change drastically. And the content that we've become accustomed to getting, we're not going to get anymore. At least not in the scale and not in the quantity that we've been used to getting it. It's just because right. the money's not going to be there to fund it. So, yep. I, I mean, I know how would you answer Dwayne's question there, Rob? Like, what would you say to that?
1: Well, I mean, look, th- like you pointed out, th- this is an ecosystem that it's a business that's been here for a century, and it has a certain way that it works. Now, streaming, I-, I mean, before home video, it was theatrical was it, and then television played a little bit of a part. You know, they would sell things to foreign markets or play movies on TV, but for the most part, you know, it was, it was theatrical. That's how the movie business worked, and then home video changed that landscape drastically, in that you could sell and buy, you know, you could buy movies, pre-recorded tapes and all that. Then as we've moved along, cable television added to the mix, and and now there's all kinds of different streaming services, and there's a million different ways to sell your film. You can have it on IMDb, free with ads. You can have it on YouTube. You can have it wherever, but the revenue that is being generated by all that stuff is still a fraction of what a movie makes in a theater. I mean, Avengers Endgame in the space of a couple of months made $3 billion worldwide, fueling a lot of different industries. Movie theaters and then all those ancillary markets that we've talked about on the show. But Disney, it drove the the awareness and the success of that film drove their entire company uh, over theme parks and merchandising and home entertainment and cable television and streaming and all that. It was a, a huge hit theatrical movie is the engine that drives all of it forward. It, it markets itself. It, it acts. It creates its own awareness when people are going to the movies. So, to lose that engine is basically you might as well. It pulls the engine out of a car, so it can only coast down a hill. It's ne- oh. never going to get you where you want to go, and right. it's it's bad. It's bad to lose that.
0: And and listen, by the way, we're still going to get. There are some great movies that are lower budget, right? Some of the best movies are the lower budget movies, right? And and that will still exist. What I'm saying, though, is is that, you know, the next Harry Potter franchise, yeah, no, not going to get that anymore. You're not going to get the next big Avengers. But if you do, it'll be on a very different scale. It'll be budgeted Mm -hmm. very differently. And then a lot of these great, smaller, lower budget films get financed by the bigger films that make all these money, and then when you, even when you get to things like Netflix, like Netflix has like uh, I think Netflix is the one that's putting out Trials of Chicago Seven, like that looks great, but again, a more modestly budgeted film um, that is being put out by a company that is currently fifteen billion dollars in debt, uh, being Netflix, right? So it's it's just understand that the landscape's going to change if the theaters disappear, whether they will or not. And, and then the, uh, it's just going to be, it's going to be weird. It's just going to be weird. All right, let's keep moving on here. Uh, Willow writes, let's pretend, is that where we're at? Yes. Let's pretend that all of the major studios and theaters survive and the pandemic ends. Do you think there will be permanent changes to the movie industry post COVID or will things eventually return to where they were before the pandemic? Um, The one thing I can see possibly changing is I can see some negotiations to tweaking how the theatrical window works. I can see some changes to that. Like, for instance, I don't think what you're going to see is like, oh, the 90-day window is going to become a 20-day window. That's not, I don't believe, there's no way the the uh, like NATO is going to go for that. But what I can see happening is something like, okay, we here at NATO and our members are will be okay, you put a movie in theaters, after 30 days, you can release digitally a premium priced home release of that movie for say forty five dollars that there will only be, Rob, so many people that'll be willing to pay that, right? So I could see something like that, we're like, okay, after 30 days, you can put it out for like 40 bucks or 45 bucks, but then your regular home video release still has to honor the regular thirty. So I can see that being tweaked a little bit, but if, if, and it's a huge, if, if the studios and theater system can come out of this unscathed, I don't see much major stuff changing because the way it is barely keeps the theaters alive as it is. Too much tinkering and they just can't survive. So I can see little things. Rob, do you see any kind of permanent changes coming out of this if everything survives till after the pandemic?
1: Well, I maybe more more clean, uh, clean and safe safety protocols and more social distancing. But if things go back to normal and I think that they eventually will – I think it'll slowly go back to normal. I mean, we're very adaptive. But for the time being, I mean, the idea that that COVID is easy to catch, it's still very difficult to prevent the spread of it. And until that happens, I think we're going to have social distancing. But eventually, if movie theaters survive, I think it'll go back to the way it was. I really do.
0: All right. Next up, uh, Ryan Loner writes, if Infinity War, in Infinity War, Thor says, what more can I lose? And then Jane gets cancer. Yeah, but remember, by that point, they had broken up. <laughs> they, had, they, had, <laughs> they had broken up. But it's going to be really interesting to see where they take that storyline following the mighty Thor comic books a little bit it's gonna be really interesting to see where they take that storyline in there especially with them embracing that the cancer angle with jane because natalie portman confirmed they're going to be doing that it's gonna be really inter- interesting to see where they go with that all right andrew bootsma writes dan loeb disney investor 5.5 million shares sent a letter to bob chapek asking him to double down on disney plus arguing that disney has a limited time to compete with netflix for subscribers he suggests that they release black widow etc on disney plus uh thoughts His thoughts on Mulan. We see this as a valuable learning experience. Expect stumbles on the way to greatness. My question, Netflix is worth more than Disney. Uh, Doesn't that prove the business model? Why isn't Disney releasing tentpoles to gain subs? No. uh, First of all, Netflix is $15 billion in debt. You got to keep that in mind. They are currently $15 billion in debt. Um, Secondly, Disney plus is doing just fine. Like they are so far ahead without releasing decent content. They're so far ahead of where their projections were. They are so farther ahead of where Netflix was at this point in their development. So all due respect to Dan Loeb, but there's a reason he's not the CEO of Disney. It's great that he had the money to buy shares, but he's not the CEO of Disney. Um, And he does not understand this business nearly as well as Bob Iger or Bob Chapek do. Uh, So that's great that a guy who had the money to buy shares has an opinion. He should have that opinion. The Mulan thing was absolutely a learning experience, but it wasn't just a learning experience. It was a train wreck. Their experiment with, with Mulan was an absolute train wreck. And he's got to understand that... Releasing Black Widow on Disney Plus is sacrificing a billion-dollar payday. It's sacrificing a billion-dollar payday. The smarter people understand to take a multiple-pronged approach. We are going to have our streaming stuff. We're going to have Mandalorian Season 2. We're going to have WandaVision. We have a strategy for original stuff. And by the way, it is already working for them despite the massive stumble with Mulan. It is already working for them to the point that they already have over 60 million subscribers, which is so far ahead of where they thought they'd be at this point. It's it's almost inconceivable. A little bit of Insini there. Inconceivable. And they have their theatrical strategy that brings in billions and billions billions in profit every year other than 2020 every year so while that's great that dan Loeb, a guy who's got money and bought shares uh has this opinion fantastic i rob i'll go out on a limb and say bob Iger knows what he's doing i'm just gonna take a wild wild <laughs> go way out on a limb and say bob Iger knows what he's doing i, I don't know rob what, what would you say to this well i
1: I think so too. I, look, I, again, you know, we're in the middle of of the wild, wild west. I mean, people are trying to make this decisions. They're trying to figure things out. They really don't know what was going to happen. Tenant coming out, Mulan being put on Disney Plus for thirty bucks. I mean, all of this stuff is new. People are they're 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 trying to forge new pathways without having a clue. You have a business that do, did business the same way for a very long time. They knew exactly how to operate. They knew exactly what they needed to do. Now all bets are off. So the you they've blown it up and they're trying to figure out how do we put the pieces back together and how do we make make the world work? And I don't think anybody's necessarily made wrong moves or bad moves. They're just making moves and seeing what they can make work because nobody really knows. Although I would say <laughs> that no matter how much you want to try, if you're never going to make your money back with a $200 million movie, putting it on pay- pay-per-view anywhere. You know, that it's just not going to work those kinds of things. So what they did with Mulan and what they did with tenant, uh, in the theaters, these are mistakes that I think were made and they learn and they move forward. And and like you said, Bob Iger knows what's up, but he's trying to save his company. Nobody's going to Disneyland. You know how much money Disney is losing every single day? I mean, it's 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 unbelievable if you think about the kind of and they need that cash to make their company work and how many people they employ. My God. Yeah, it's a it's, mess. Uh...
0: It's a mess. And of course, now we're going, well, We're not now we're not talking about Disney Studios. We're talking about the Disney Park. But yep, there's a lot of different facets to that company trying to make things work. All right. Uh, B. Wayne New York writes, hey, John slash Rob. Ever hear of Warrior? A period crime series set in the 1800s Chinatown in San Francisco. It's a story of the brutal Tong gang wars of that era. Great actors, dramatic stories, and kung fu action. It's based on the writings of Bruce Lee. Really well done. The only Warrior I'm familiar with is with Joel Edgerton and Tom Hardy. Uh, Nick Nolte. That's, that's the only, which fabulous 2011 film, absolutely incredible 2011 film based around the world of MMA and stuff like that. Love it. Uh, I'm, but I'm not familiar with this one. Robert, you?
1: No, I mean, I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it.
0: Okay. So... So there's that. Thanks for putting that on our radar, B. Wayne. All right, next up, Stubble McShave writes, uh, there were reports on nudity and sex in the new Lord of the Rings series. Reports were based on casting calls requiring nudity and intimacy coordinator. Tolkien only had a chaste kiss or two in the movies. Didn't take it further. Do you think fans will accept the tonal shift? I don't know that, that a, a a love scene represents a tonal shift. I don't think throwing in a love scene represents a tonal shift. Uh, I don't think a, a, a nude scene like, Hey, you know what? Elves, elves in fiction are also very erotic creatures. Uh, <laughs> they're often portrayed in many way. The idea uh, of like, yeah. uh, <laughs> the idea of a bath scene or something like that is not far out. I, I really wouldn't. Take, and by the way, intimacy coordinators aren't just there for sex scenes. A lot of the, now the intimacy coordinators are even there just for any kind of even basic love scenes that you'd see on television. Um, so, and even with that being there, I don't think that represents any kind of tonal shift. I really don't. The tone of the movie changing represents a tonal shift. I think a, a random scene here or there does throw. throughout. And listen, this the Tolkien world is a brutal – it's beautiful and graceful but also brutal and harsh and all that kind of stuff. So I, I'll be interesting to see what they do. Let's put it this way, Stubble. I'm going to pass no judgments on it until I see what it is. Mm-hmm until I see what it is and until I see what it is I'm not going to jump to any conclusions about what that does or does not mean so let's see I know there's nothing coming out on television Rob and I include Falcon and Winter Soldier I I include Mandalorian season two there is nothing I'm looking forward to more on television than the Lord of the Rings series I'm not saying it'll be the best but it's the one I'm looking forward to the most all right uh the Wakandan Forever writes ah Oh, I am really sorry. I was in the pool. Uh, I was in the pool. There's a little bit of uh, 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 Costanza there. Do women know about shrinkage? It shrinks like a frightened turtle. Classic Seinfeld. Everybody stay safe. Remember, laughter is the best medicine. Have a good one, John. I love that scene. I was in the pool. <laughs> Oh, was in the pool. Classic, classic Costanza. Victor Vodka writes, Hey, John, longtime fan, but first time submitting. Thanks for writing in, Victor. After the Disney slash Fox deal, Feige said it would be about five years before we saw X-Men in the MCU. With films being delayed, do you think Feige will change plans to debut X-Men sooner? I'm dying for MCU X-Men. Well, two little, two things here, Victor. Number one, Feige didn't say it'll be five years until we see X-Men. He said, I've already got my next five years planned out. The implication was, he, the the implied message there is that we may not get X-Men for about five years. But let's just be clear about that. The other thing, Rob, I don't know what you think about this. Though I think with all the movies getting delayed, that'll make an X-Men come faster? No, if anything, it's going to push X-Men off even further. Yeah. Because if he's got his plans, his plans are getting shifted, he's not going to suddenly now – Let's drop something as all the stuff we've even already got made is getting pushed back. We're not going to suddenly do something and drop it. So if anything, it'll probably push it off further. What do you think?
1: I completely agree. I mean, look what they've already got. They've, they're, they're way into 2022 and 23 at this point. And even if they started filming an X-Men movie, it's not going to come out until I would I'll bet. We don't see an X-Men movie until 2024, or 2025. That wouldn't surprise me
0: yeah yeah that would make sense all right uh next up here danny sanchez writes john after seven long months i went back to the theater watched private screening of beetlejuice for my birthday that's awesome turns 32 like me glorious keaton burton elfman match made in heaven your thoughts on beetlejuice love you all you rob aaron and i miss chris yeah beetlejuice i i'm not gonna lie it's not my favorite movie like it's not one that I hold in my heart like a lot of people do. I really – don't get me wrong. I really enjoy Beetlejuice. I do. I, I like it quite a bit. But you know, there's a lot of people that have a very sacred spot in their hearts for Beetlejuice, 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 right? Uh, that's not the case with me, but I've always enjoyed that movie, right? From the first time I saw it as a kid, uh, I enjoyed that movie and I do to this day. Rob, your thoughts on Beetlejuice?
1: Dude, come on. Who doesn't love Beetlejuice? As a matter of fact, I love Beetlejuice so much that I recently got the brand new uh, re-release that they did of it. I-, I thought that movie was, to me, to me, Edward Scissorhands and Beetlejuice are the most unfiltered Tim Burton that we've ever we've ever got. At least in terms of his where he came from. And then as he's made movies out th- over the years, he's gotten to be a better filmmaker. But I think those when I think Tim Burton, Edward Scissorhands and Beetlejuice to me define him more so than batman
0: um interesting even more so than batman you say
1: yeah oh wow okay because they came out of his sensibilities as you know he has uh, tim burton has like the soul of an animator and and the ideas of uh, uh, that are contained in both beetlejuice and and especially edward scissorhands to me are of a singular vision. I think only Tim Burton could have brought us those two movies. Whereas uh, uh, we've had other takes of, of Batman from other directors, but the, the tone, the sensibilities of both Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands are unique. And um, I've always loved those movies for that reason.
0: Okay. And just uh, right now, just so y'all know, there is breaking news. There is breaking news that just dropped uh, as about halfway through the show today. We were doing breaking news, Rob. Uh, This comes to us from the folks at Variety. And Variety is reporting to us that we have known this is coming, but now it is tangible. Green Lantern Series gets the green light at HBO Max, Seth Graham Smith, and Mark Guggenheim to write. And Seth Graham Smith, I believe, is going to be set as the showrunner this is what they had to say over there at variety they said the following hbo max has given out a series order to green lantern variety has learned Uh, now of course we've known they were going to be developing this but now it's got the green light they've put in the order for it based on the dc comics property The show was first announced as being in development last year. Plot details are now available for the first time, however. The show will depict the adventures of a multitude of Lanterns, including Guy Gardner, Jessica Cruz, Simon Baz, and Alan Scott, Earth's first Green Lantern, who, true to the comics, is a gay man and many more. The series will also include fan favorites such as Sinestro and Kilowog, and will also introduce new heroes to the ranks of the Green Lantern Corps. Rob, two very notable names missing there. Hal Jordan Mm -hmm. and Jon Stewart. Neither of them are mentioned there. Now it's normally the big debate about which Green Lantern should they do. Hal Jordan, which I'm totally in the Hal. G. To me, Hal Jordan is the quintessential Green Lantern. If you're doing a Green Lantern movie, it should be Hal Jordan. Other people, they grew up in an era where Jon Stewart was being portrayed in animated form. And like to them, right. that's that's Green Lantern. And looking at this, they're not now they are saying there will be many more, but it will include Guy Gardner, Jessica Cruz, Simon Baz, and Alan Scott the first Green Lantern, whether or not they're going to say he's Earth's first Green Lantern or not. I don't know. Rob, no surprise here. We've been expecting some news at some point about the Green Lantern series. They didn't discuss it at DC Phantom. I don't remember it ever even being mentioned there. But now it's official. The green light's been given. Number one, what do you think about an HBO Max series on Green Lantern and also what do you think about this little rundown we just read like how surprising is this
1: well first of all I love Green Lantern but like you my Green Lantern is Hal Jordan because that's who I grew up with and then probably John Stewart and Guy Gardner after that but I always thought of Guy Gardner as a joke anyway but still um, I I like the lineup I wonder is this going to be an ongoing series is it going to be an anthology show I mean it seems like already they're starting with a big cast of characters but the idea of the Green Lantern Corps is such a rich it's such a rich tapestry with which to play in. So I'm I'm gosh, I'm really looking forward to this man. I I'm glad to hear this this breaking news and I think I can't wait to be honest. You know I what mean, else
0: I just realized another guy who was the the prominent comic book Green Lantern for quite a while, Kyle Rayner. Kyle Rayner, yeah. Is also no. not listed in there. Uh, so I mean I I love that Guy Gardner is going to be I'm not I, whatever your mix or cast of characters were you got to have Guy Gardner has got to be one of them that's just that's just a type of character you can take and drop into any kind of a show so I'm glad yeah. that one's going to be there interesting stuff guys
1: question for I'm you I'm pretty is, stoked man that's that I'm this I'm stoked is exciting. By this news.
0: What do you guys think about that? We'll probably discuss this a little bit more come Monday once we well, a little bit more news and details comes out about this and we have a chance to gestate this a little bit more. We'll talk about it more then. But for now, guys, what do you think about this news about the Green Lantern Corps? Just because they didn't mention the names doesn't necessarily mean we won't see a Hal Jordan or a Kyle Rayner or a John Stewart. Maybe they will be there. But for now, that's who there's mentioning. Guys, what do you think about that? Jump into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, let's keep on going with your guys' live questions. And next up, we've got S. Beam who writes, John, holy crap, man, watch the finale. I did watch the finale. I'm sure you're talking about The Boys Season 2. I know you did. Wow, was glued to my screen the entire episode. Some things I knew would happen, but other things I didn't see coming. I absolutely agree. I wonder uh, how long we have to wait for Season 3. Also, expand Season 5 in December. Looking forward to that. Yeah, look, even Seth Rogen was saying like, when they announced that they got the green light for season three, he's like, I have no idea when we're going to be able to shoot it, but yay, we got the green light for season three. Yeah, man, I don't know how long we're going to have to wait. I mean, especially after that ending, I'm like, Oh my God. Oh my God. How long do we have to wait to get some more of this goodness, which is they ended true to Eric Kripke, Rob, they ended the season. I've always said supernatural is the show that lays the blueprint for how you properly do an end to season. You have your main story for the season. You wrap up that story in a satisfactory way while opening up the door for what the next season is going to be about and where it leads. Right? Like I just watched the season finale for raised by wolves. Horrible, horrible season finale. Horrible. They ended that – it put a bad taste in my mouth for the whole show even though I was fa- – I fairly liked it all the way through. They end the season without answering a single question, not bringing uh-huh. one thing to resolution and it just – you get to the end of the season it's like, okay, so they didn't answer anything. And they just brought up a whole bunch of new questions and it's like Supernatural, also Eric so who also does The Boys, is perfect for that. They have their season-long story they wrap it up at the end while opening the door and introducing what the next season is really going to be about. And that's what the boys does. And it was great. And I cannot wait, dude. <laughs> Again, I, I cannot wait for you to call me after you've had a chance to watch this uh, this last episode. All right. Sam Fisher writes, did you see the boys, a New York City Comic-Con virtual pan- panel, Anthony Starr, uh, Anthony Starr, guy who plays Homelander and the and the glass of milk. I also love, no, I, I didn't watch the, the panel. I didn't. So I also love the season finale and the twist in the last like three minutes plus Homelander. Uh, you know, for those listening to the podcast version, I'm just going to skip over that because guys, Sam, come on, you know better. Don't write in things for what people haven't seen yet. Please don't do that. All right. Anonymous for your rights. Hey friends, please support John's doc movie trailers, the love story on October 12th, buy an online ticket, uh, in the link below and spread the news of your social media. Uh, of course the, my, my documentary, uh, movie trailers, the love story is going to be playing in two, maybe more to come. Um, uh, two, uh, great film festivals coming up in the studio city film festival. And of course the, uh, NBC universal presents the Portland film festival, uh, that I'm very excited about. And, uh, Really can't wait to share, and then I'm thinking by the end of the year I'm going to have it available for everybody. At that point, anyway, thanks for that, Anonymous. Food hates my waistline. Writes, uh, Wonder Woman is my favorite superhero, and I love Gal Gadot in the ro- role. I've been looking forward to Wonder Woman eighty four, and I know Warner Brothers needs to release it in theaters. But after six release dates, disappointments, November nineteenth, June, July, August, October, November, I'm losing interest. Sadly, hey, listen, and again, that, Rob, that's what we were talking about earlier, right? It's like. They were advertising this thing ages ago. Yeah. And how long can you wait until it's like, oh, Wonder Woman's coming up. It wasn't out. Wasn't it out like a year ago? Or <laughs> they're, And I, they're, they're getting dangerously close to that because that's why, Rob, I don't think Wonder Woman is going to keep that December 25th release date. I don't think it's going to keep that date at all. But I believe they are going to wait as long as they can before they announce it moving. And when they move it, the next time they move it, it's going to be to a date and then hell or high water, they're going to keep that date because they can't keep doing this. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I feel the same way. I mean, to me, I always have to stop. That's the one movie I stop and think, oh, wait, didn't that come out already? But I then I know, well, no, it didn't because I haven't seen it. So it must not have. Um, yeah, I uh, it's I, I think you're right. I think they're going to move it and then they're going to have to move it somewhere and leave it there because eventually – Eventually, if, if you keep hearing about – I know from my own psychology, going by my own thought process, I keep hearing about these movies. And then in a way, it's like I've been hearing about them for so long. Well, of course they must have come out. And then I stop and think, oh, no, they didn't because of COVID. But it's almost like I, – I, I've never felt this way before, John. I feel like I'm moving into a place where I don't want to see these movies anymore. Like the, the promise <laughs> – I, I, in, in my mind, I've just reconciled it like, well, I guess – I guess I'm just not going to see these movies. I mean, they promised them to me and I'm not going to get them. So, okay. So my experience of life might ever be that I, I, I'm never going to get wonder woman or no time to die or any of these films. It's not like, you know, fast nine, the fast saga, when they moved that movie, they moved it into 2021. I understood that. I thought about it and I, it's never come to me. It's never come again, but now with no time to die, repeatedly being moved and wonder what Bru- wonder woman repeatedly being moved i'm like i'm just not going to think about these movies anymore i don't care I- i'm tired of spending thought on on thinking about them when they show up they show up if i run across them on cable one day i'll be like oh yeah i never did see wonder woman 84 but at this point i just i don't, I don't care
0: yeah, it's uh it's it's a situation they have to figure out how to manage here uh, and, and figure out sooner rather than later. All right. K Major writes. Hey, John, dude, you got me watching my Patreon and Facebook notifications like a hawk. K Major is clearly one of our Patreon supporters. I keep missing the glorious good news. Happy about all the success you've been receiving. It makes me very honored to be along for the ride since 2013. Keep bringing on the filthy bro. Thank you so much for that, Cambridge. And yeah, just a reminder to everybody who is a Patreon supporter and a deep, deep thank you to all of you guys who are Patreon supporters. Make sure, like Cambridge, you keep your eyes on the Patreon feed because we're always dropping things early in there, letting, letting people know our Patreon supporters know things before other people do and things like that. And for instance, we had, our, we had a private screening of my movie, uh, movie trailers, a love story of my documentary. We did a private screening that was exclusively for uh, a select group of our Patreon supporters. We invited in 25 Patreon supporters. We put up the notification in the Patreon page. First 25 people responded. We had a private screening. It was a lot of fun. So yeah, just a reminder to all the people who are Patreon supporters, keep your eyes open on those feeds, everybody, and in our Patreon supporter Facebook group. All right. Kim Major also writes, Non-movie related. What do you use for streaming your music? Google is closing their app, their music app and forcing us to use YouTube music by December. It sucks in my opinion. No centralized library. Uh, looking for an alternative until they fix it, I hope. My music streaming service of choice is Google Play Music. I did get the notification that they're merging that into YouTube music. So they're going to be shutting down Google Play Music and your tr- membership transfers over. I've never tried YouTube music yet. Um. But I've been using Google Play Music for a long time. As a matter of fact, I've been using it for so long that the one I used before that was Pandora, which is still around. Pandora is still around. So right now, that's my music streaming. Ser- Rob, do you have a music streaming service of choice right now that you use?
1: I use Spotify. You do? Yeah, a lot of people yeah. use that. You like it? I, I do like it. I, you know, I, keep, I have this one playlist of just ra- not random but what kind of random music from a soundtrack playlist that i just keep adding to i think it's like eight hours long now <laughs> i just keep throwing stuff in there and i use it, i listen to that all the time that playlist
0: uh all right uh let's see here next up and then we're probably gonna have to let rob go because he's got things he's got to do uh next up comes us from uh, john klobaker who writes Have you ever read the works of K.M. Wineland? She's an author who has written some excellent resources for people who want to become authors. I highly recommend her to people who want to write. I have personally never heard of her. I've never really aspired to be a writer per se. So that's probably why I haven't. If either Rob or I would have heard of her, it would be Rob. So Rob, have you ever heard or read the works of K.M. Wineland? If either of us are going to know, it's you.
1: I have not. But I have not.
0: Yet another great resource given to us by one of our viewers to anybody else who is interested in that. Thank you yeah. for putting on the uh on the radar there. OK, let's let's get a real question while we got Rob here. Uh Trevor Macy writes, hey, John, did you watch the boys season finale yet? I absolutely did. Uh, I absolutely loved it. Just wanted to know your thoughts. Hopefully we get season three soon. Thank you. All, listen, I'm not going to go into any detail. I think this weekend I will do a open spoiler discussion uh live video. So keep your eyes open for that. Give everybody a chance to see the finale. I loved it. I loved it uh, and I cannot wait to discuss it more. Uh, all right. Uh, Tyler Yates writes, hey, John, hope you're well. I was lucky and saw Tenet four times at my Regal before they closed. Always had a good experience. Really sad about them closing again and the other movies, especially the Batman being delayed. But uh, but I understand. Have a good day weekend. Rob, did you ever get around to seeing Tenet? Nope.
1: Nope. I was even in maybe uh, this, some drive-ins. Maybe this weekend. I, you know, I it's I, I, I can't go see it at a drive-in. You know, I have to go see. I want to see it in a big IMAX But it is IMAX better theater. than not seeing it at all. Well, I'm going to try and get to Orange County today. It's just, you know, it's an hour mm. and a half, hour away. You know, it's it's, it's a trek.
0: It, it it's is a trek. trek. But uh, but yeah, I, I go because I, I am dying to know what you think about that. Anyway, Rob, thanks for being here today. I know you got stuff you got to run and do. But in the meantime, where can people follow you and your adventures online?
1: Well, you can follow me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Follow me on Twitter at Burnett RM or follow me on my YouTube channel, uh, The Burnett Work, where our uh, first annual Intergalactic Imagination Connoisseurs Film Festival is currently going on. We have a world premiere happening at 12 o'clock at noon today about Spider-Man, believe it or not, about the creation of the comic character of Spider-Man.
0: Excellent. Thanks a lot for being here again today, dude. And we will talk to you later. Don't forget to call me later after you watch The Boys.
1: I will call you later.
0: All right, I'll talk to you later, man. All right, guys, that is one Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Always good to have him here. We still got about uh, 20 minutes, so let's keep on going through your live questions, shall we? Um, Aloe Way Wayman writes, Hey, John, Odin said in Thor, whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. Uh, isn't the strength lightning and cape uh, doesn't the strength, lightning, and cape come with it? If so, did Cap in Endgame get the strength of Thor? No cape and armor. What about Jane? Uh, what about Jane Foster in the next movie? Like, I don't know. Like that's a question that came up a lot after Endgame came out. It's like, okay, so what of Thor? Did did Cap get? And in theory. Once he wasn't holding, because well, like Thor still had all the power of Thor, even when he wasn't holding Mjolnir, right? Like he was still Thor without Mjolnir in his hand. So if when Cap took possession of Mjolnir, did he now permanently have all those attributes? Or was it only when he was holding the hammer? I don't know what the answer to that is. I would love to sit down with Kevin Feige at some time and ask him about that, but you are thinking along the same ways that a lot of us have thought about like, what did that mean? Unfortunately, we're we're not going to get to know what the answer to that question is when it comes to Cap, but uh, it would have been interesting to know the next time if I ever get a chance again to, to actually speak with Kevin Feige, I will ask him that question. So theoretically, had Cap kept on just being around after the events of Endgame, would he have had all the power of Thor even without the hammer in his hand? Would have been interesting to ask him that. All right, next up. Uh, let's see. Preston the Kryptonian writes, one of two. Hi, John. Thank you for the thoughts on walks. I did, I put up another thoughts on walks yesterday for those of you guys who are interested in those little videos I do. It is now up on the YouTube channel. Uh, thank you for the thoughts on walks the other night. I am actually a writer on the side and have been working on a fantasy novel for quite a few years. I am pretty much done now, but tend to get discouraged as I try to market and publish. Um, your message was timely as I have the entire next week in quarantine as I was exposed to the virus and tested positive. Oh, I'm sorry to hear about that, man. Uh, don't worry. I hardly have any symptoms and it's a mild case. Anyway, thanks for the encouragement. Maybe it'll be a movie one day. And listen, the, the whole point of it is too. So my la- latest thoughts on walks, I'll let you go watch it. But the basic just is this. If you're a movie fan, even if it's just a one time for fun thing, everybody should make a short film or a full length feature film. You should all do it. And I lay out all the reasons why in that Thoughts on Watch. You should go watch it. But part of the thing about getting out and doing it is that the first thing you do doesn't necessarily need to be the thing. Whether this thing you're working on right now, Preston, becomes a movie or whether it just becomes a stepping stone to something else you do later – the, the key is to get off our asses and to get out there and start doing stuff rather than just talking about it. And you clearly have already taken those first few steps. And that's awesome, man. Hope your quarantine goes well, man. Hang in there. The boredom is killer. But I hope uh, the show can be here to help you get through that part as well. Thanks for sharing that, Preston. All right. Frankie G writes, the boys. Um I can't I can't read that, unfortunately. Uh, the Sock writes, I had zero interest in Mulan, but it pisses me off that Disney is giving us the middle finger with this. They better put out content really quick after WandaVision and M- Mando season two. I can only rewatch Imagineering Story so many times. Also, yeah, and I can't read that last part. Guys, do me a favor. Like, understand, like, something just came out on TV last night. Not everybody's just seen it last night. So... You know, pump the brakes on sharing stuff. Again, this is, isn't helping people watching the video. Hopefully people who are listening to the podcast aren't getting anything spoiled for them. Uh, Josh Valentin writes, well, 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 uh, soul skipping its theatrical run. And now I have uh, lobby posters that say coming in November, going to hold on to these collector's items, Revenge of the Jedi. Oh, I totally would. I would totally hold on to those suckers. Absolutely, because those – I mean, it all also depends on how big of a hit, like how beloved does Soul become. If it becomes like an all-time beloved movie, having a poster that says coming in November, that could be worth something later on. I mean, if it comes and goes and everybody forgets about the movie, maybe not. But if it becomes a beloved film, like the next Ratatouille or something, it could become a very serious collector's item at some point. All right. And Perkins, right, it's one of my – one of the characters from one of my favorite shows, parks and rec Uh, watched your thoughts on walks. I and a group of pals used to enter the 48 hour film project. Every team gets the same character name, occupation, line of dialogue and prop. Each team then pulls a random genre from a hat and 48 hours to make a short film. It is so much fun. You get no sleep, but great filmmaking fun. Entries are shown in a cinema. Also, all the winners are entered into a film festival with winners from other countries. So there's a chance for recognition too. Strongly recommend. I've had friends of mine participate in these 48 hour. I've even there's also a 24 hour one out there. And yeah, what a this bonkers. Like he's just go, go, go. No sleep for two days. Get a thing cranked out, finished and done. Absolutely nuts. That is so awesome that you participate in stuff like that. And guys, if you ever – to go along with my thoughts on walks, if you get an opportunity to get a couple of friends together and participate in something like that, listen to Ann Perkins and go and take advantage of that opportunity. All right. Sam Fisher writes, Does anyone know what Stormfront was saying in German at the end? Um, I will move on. Actually, Sam – it's uh, the so it, this isn't giving a story to hear that Stormfront was speaking in German. There's actually articles online if you go and search, because I read one this morning where they actually did translate what she was saying. And it's, it's really interesting. The stuff sh- that she was saying at the end there. So you can go and, and look that up. Uh, dimension 20 CH says, have either of you guys seen the invincible trailer yet? It's one of my two all time favorite comic book series, uh, that have an ending besides lock and key and Holy shit. The boys finale and twist hyped for hell for season three. Also, do you ever watch, uh, D podcasts? I've watched some DD stuff. Yes. I've watched some D&D stuff because I I play Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, I'm assuming you mean by D&D, you mean Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, So I play Dungeons & Dragons. My wife is very into Dungeons & Dragons. She plays in like several groups, and she's the game master for a couple of groups as well. Um, But anyway, no, I've not seen the trailer for Invincible yet. I saw that it dropped, but I have not watched it yet myself. I haven't had a chance to see that yet. All right, next up. Uh, Mr. Golfwang writes, I think Bill Skarsgård would make a great... uh, Fade Rathua, I don't even know what that is off the top of my head. Uh, if there were to be another Dune, F- oh, I, uh, seriously, I, you know what I was thinking? for some reason I had it in my head, I had it in my head that we were talking about this some obscure Green Lantern character. Anyway, uh, would be interesting being that uh, Bill's father, Stellan Skarsgård, is playing the Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, aka the uncle, but. I, I mean, you know me, though. I get into what about X ra- actor and X role? I, I don't care. As long as they're good actors. The whole Skarsgård clan. The whole Skarsgård clan is stupid talented. Like, Stellan's genes are ridiculous. Because what does he have? Like, 48 children? I think it's 48. 48 kids, and they're all, like, super talented actors. Like, even as one kid who doesn't look like any of the other ones, the one who played Floki in uh, Vikings, and he plays Merlin in that new Netflix show, he's great. I mean, they're all great. It's crazy, the the talent genes that Stellan has. Anyway, Adam K. writes... Do you think Pete doctor had any say in the decision to move soul to Disney plus he's the COO of Pixar. So imagine he had a lot of influence. I wonder if he pushed to keep soul in theaters and is upset that Disney is moving his movie to streaming. Um, I definitely look as the head of Pixar. Cause he kind of took over from John Lasseter as the head of Pixar I absolutely believe he had input, right? I don't know that his would have been the final say. Uh, Actually, I'm pretty sure his wouldn't have been the final say because he has a boss in Alan Horn, right? Alan Horn is the head guy of all Disney movies. Alan Horn's the head of all of it, whether it's Pixar, Lucasfilm, Disney Motion Pictures, Disney Animation, MCU, like Marvel, whatever it is, Alan Horn is the head of all of that. And then Alan Horn has a boss above him, who right now is Bob Chapek, who he has a boss above him, who is of course Bob Iger. So I absolutely one hundred percent believe he had input. I, but I also probably he did not have the final say in that. That was probably Alan Horn, and uh, whether or not he was upset about it, oh, I don't, I don't know if he was upset about it or not. I really don't. I think he's just happy he made a he made a product. Uh, it's going to get out there. It's going to get seen. And, um, listen, all filmmakers want their movies playing in a theater. Uh, let's be, I mean, I've heard so many directors say all filmmakers want their movies playing in a theater. So maybe he's a little disappointed by it, but I'm sure he understands. I mean, hell, if, if some loser, nobody YouTuber like me understands why they did it, I'm sure somebody is intricately connected, knows the business far better than I do. Like uh, a Pete doctor. I'm sure he understands as well. All right next up um, M Cornelius writes hey John and Co I hate uh, piracy but here in the Philippines we still don't have Disney plus and I haven't seen Mandalorian yet I'm already itching what do you think listen I've, I've talked about this before it's a very interesting scenario because I'm like you piracy is you're you' it's it's being a thief you're a thief if you pirate stuff. Sorry, I know everybody likes to pretend it's okay when they do it, but it's not. It's being a thief. And, you know, uh, John Schnepp was really devastated by the piracy of his movie, The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened. It it almost ruined him, actually. The piracy of Death of Superman Lives, What Happened almost ruined him financially. Um, And... You know, I'm like I'm not going to lie. I'm scared to death of people taking like I invested a lot of my own money and and time and energy and resources into making movie trailers a love story, and I'm terrified to death of people pirating it. I am, but that said, the scenario of Disney Plus and Mandalorian, like when Mandalorian was first coming out last year. And Disney Plus, it was still not, there were still a lot of places Disney Plus couldn't be got. It raised a very interesting question about piracy and things like that. Because you are now going to have a lot of countries around the world where you have fans waving their money and saying, I am willing to pay for this content. I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to pay for it. You got some exciting content that I'm excited to see. You put, you invested your millions into it. I'm willing to play my part and pay, you know, uh, to buy a ticket or to buy a subscription or to, to, you know, purchase my rental, whatever. Here I am. You got millions of fans around the world who are like, I'm sitting here ready to pay to see this thing, but it's not even available to them. That raises a very interesting ethical question about the ethics of piracy in a scenario like that. You know, one of the excuses that people use to justify their piracy, which is just total BS, is like, well, I can't afford to buy that movie, so I had to to pirate it. I can't afford a Lamborghini. That doesn't give me an excuse to break into a car dealership and steal the Lamborghini off a lot. You know, just because I can't afford it, that's not an excuse to steal it. That doesn't justify stealing it. But what happens when you get people who are like, I'm here, I'm interested in your product. Here's my money. I'm willing to pay for it. Where can I get it? Where, where can I get it? See, so you get places like CBS All Access, now called Paramount Prime, I guess, or Paramount Plus. But at the time it was CBS All Access. They were coming out with Star Trek Discovery, right? Which is a great show. I can say that because Rob's not here right now. It's a great show. I love Star Trek Discovery. But CBS All Access was not available everywhere. So what did CBS All Access do? Well, they said, tell you what, Holland, where we don't have CBS All Access yet, we're going to license Star Trek Discovery to Netflix Holland. So if you're in Holland... And we're not offering CBS All Access there, but you want to watch Star Trek Discovery? Good news, you're going to have a way to do it. We're going to license it out to Netflix in Holland so you can watch it there. And they did that in a lot of countries. Disney Plus didn't want to take that route. And, and I understand why. It, it, it makes sense. I, I'm not against the fact that they didn't do that. But again, it creates a very fascinating... Online digital ethics question about what happens when you have people who are willing to pay for it and you're just not letting them have the opportunity to get it. Does piracy become more acceptable ethically in a scenario like that? And I have no answers. I don't have the answer to that. I just – concede that it's a it's an interesting question that i don't know what the answer to that is it's an interesting one so i don't know what you do man it's a it's an interesting question that a lot of people have been asking for a long time dude um great question though all right harry from yorkshire writes I've been listening slash watching uh, from, from the AMC days. Thanks so much, man. Uh was a regular listener of Collider and the Schmoes know for years. I can 100% say that this show, uh, as it is now, is the best movie punditry show there has ever been that I know of. Thanks, John and company. Well, thank you so much, man. And, you know, listen, one of the great things about, you know, there's silver linings that come out of everything, right? Um, and one of the silver linings – out of kind of the collapse of what Collider was Uh, and Collider is becoming a new thing and and maybe it'll succeed in in what it's doing now. But you know, one of the silver linings out of the fact that they kind of shut down everything that it had been before is that you, we now have a lot of content on YouTube Particularly from people from that era. Like, there were people who were connected to a lot of people who used to be connected with Collider who now do their own YouTube stuff, right? And, like, you, you just name, like, Schmoes and, and whatever. And uh, that's a great thing for a fan community. It's a great thing for a fan community. Now, is the John Campy show the best of the bunch? Obviously, it is. <laughs> Obviously, that goes without saying. But. Seriously, that it's a great thing that there is a lot of content out there and a lot of choice and a lot of variety. And that doesn't mean it's a good thing that that had, Collider had shut down thing and the disaster happened at AMC. That doesn't mean that's a good thing, but hey, it's just a silver lining. It's just it's a silver lining that there's some good stuff out there. But anyway, hey, thanks for saying that, Harry. I really appreciate that, man. All right, next up, uh, Capri Grant writes, You keep saying college age, John, but hasn't Kevin Feige said the third movie will be the twelfth grade Peter, and isn't Marvel still under contract with Sony to feature an Avenger level character in the Spidey films? Couple things. Uh, I Kevin Feige has said a lot of things. Sometimes you have to adjust a little bit. What I do know is this: is that as of right now, Tom Holland, who is currently shooting his, uh, um, why am I freezing on the name of the movie Uncharted? Uh, Why did that do that on my search screen? Uh, He's shooting Uncharted right now. Tom Holland, as of right now, is 24 years old. He's going to be 25 by the time they start shooting Spider-Man 3. I think he's going to be 25. If not, he'll be close to turning 25 when they start shooting Spider-Man 3. Spider-Man: Homecoming. Let me just look into this. I want to get the date right. Uh, Spider-Man: Homecoming release date. Spider-Man: Homecoming was in two thousand seventeen. Um. So they may say he's in this grade or that grade. It doesn't matter. He has been Spider-Man for a while. He has been Spider-Man for a while. I don't. I didn't mind that in his first movie he needed a mentor figure. I still wish they hadn't turned him into Iron Man Jr. Spider-Man, he's not cool enough. No one's going to like him. You know what the kids like? Iron Man armor. Let's give Spider-Man Iron Man armor. Now he's Iron Man Jr. Now he's cool. It's like Spider-Man's cool enough. Thank you very much. Anyway, um, but I didn't mind the idea of them having a mentor figure for the first film. He's a kid. He has. But after that, I feel like, okay, now let's Spider-Man stand on his own. Because guess what? In the 20-plus years in the comics when Peter Parker was a high school student, he didn't need mentors. Always holding his hand to help him cross the street, you know? So, I, I just... And now, this is going to be the third film. By the time it comes out, it's going to be five or six years after the first film came out. By the time this movie comes out, Tom Holland's going to be walking the... Tom Holland is going to be walking the red carpet of Spider-Man 3 as a 27-year-old man. All right? Closer to 30 than he is the high school age. I'm just saying it's time to let Spider-Man, you know, stand on his own two feet. That's my own. That's, that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Um, let's see, uh, where are we at here? Uh, Mr. Golfwang Wang writes, uh, part two. I missed part. I forgot what part one. While I love the idea of seeing Skarsgård opposite his father, I'd love to see his dynamic with Timothy Chalamet." Um, uh, two of the best up and coming actors who I think could really be great together. I listen. I like. I I like him very much, but he's not on the same level as Timothy Chalamet. Um, I I don't think he is one of the best up and comers right now. I think he's very good, and I think coming from that, you know, talent rich family, he's absolutely. But. He's not Timothy Chalamet level. Timothy, if there is any actor on the planet right now who has the potential to be the next Daniel Day Lewis, who is the GOAT, he is the, he is the Bret Hart of acting. He's the best there is, best there was, best there's ever going to be, is Daniel Day Lewis. If there is anybody right now who has the potential to be the next Daniel Day Lewis, is Timothy Chalamet. Like this kid. Has already turned in multiple Academy Award level performances, and he's just at the beginning of it. He's only getting better. It gets scary how good he's going to be. I'm excited to see anybody acting alongside Timothy Chalamet. To be honest with you, and his films that he have been in have not been my favorite films, but whenever I see a movie with him in it, whether it's that one he did with Steve Carell or uh, uh, Call Me by uh, by My by Your Name or whatever there's the one he did with Army Hammer whenever I see him in the movies I usually like the movies but you know, I haven't like super loved any movies but he I just watch this kid and I'm like this is this is godlike small G godlike the the, the raw potential in that kid is stupid like absolutely stupid like this this could be the guy to like set a lot of Oscar records by the time. And you know, the dude's not even in his just, and he's not even going to hit the height of his powers till he's like in his mid thirties. So he's not even close to his potential yet. It's scary, man. It's absolutely scary. All right. Thundercloud writes, Hey, John, I've been a big fan of yours since before AMC, but never. Oh, well, thank you for writing in, man. I appreciate that. Uh, I was thinking about the whole Spider-Verse thing, and I may be in the minority, but I believe Andrew Garfield was a better Spider-Man than he gets credit for. Oh, no, I I absolutely believe he was a great Spider-Man. I think Andrew Garfield was a very unique Spider-Man from Tobey Maguire, just as Tom Holland is a very unique Spider-Man from Andrew Garfield. You know... It's much like the Joker stuff, right? Like um, Joaquin's Joker is a very different Joker than what Jack's Joker was. Jack's Joker is very different from what Heath's Joker was. You know, they're all, but they're all distinctly Joker. I think the same can in a in a way be said of like Toby and Andrew and Tom's Spider-Man. They're all quintessentially Spider-Man, but they're all very unique Spider-Man. They're all very different Spider-Man. And I think Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man was fantastic. I I really – I make no apologies for that. I think Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man was absolutely fantastic. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, Did I miss anybody? I don't think so. Okay, next up. I think that was Thundercloud. All right, Preston the Kryptonian writes – Just watched the finale of the boys last night. And wow, insane. Anyway, I don't want to spoil it for you or anyone on here, but I already want to see season three. John, do you know if they had already started filming it or uh, if it's even happening? Thanks. Yeah, they have announced it's officially greenlit and they have not started shooting it yet. Uh, Seth Rogen, when they made the announcement that it had been officially greenlit, he said, I "I don't know when we're going to be able to shoot this thing. Because obviously the pandemic is – and you've thrown a lot of schedules off and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know when they're going to get around to shooting it. But it is greenlit. Uh, Supernatural's Jensen Ackles is coming in. He's going to play the original superhero Soulja Soulja Boy, uh, which is going to be kind of cool to see. And so uh, keep our eyes open. But yes, I love the finale. I cannot wait for this show to come back. Um, N writes, I'm about to watch Tenet. It's my first movie in theaters in seven months. Super excited. Dude, I still remember my first movie back in theater in almost six months was – New Mutants. Not a great movie, but it was so good to be back in a the theater. Oh my god. I put up a video about it. It was so good to be back in theaters. I hope you enjoy yourself, man. Stay safe though. Stay safe. Alright, final question of the day, guys. Dexter writes, have you seen Steven Yeun's new movie trailer, uh, Minari? I have not. If you have, what did you think? If not, you have to check it out. I'll tell you what, I will bring it up right now, and I will watch it when we're done here. Hold second. a second. Um, uh... Oh wait a second! Is this the one where that like they they move to like into like uh they move from the, the their country to like mid midwestern uh, America and they live in this little community and he's trying to farm stuff. If if so, yes. I saw that trailer and yes, it looks fascinating. And it's an a 24 movie. If I remember correctly from the trailer, I didn't remember that being the title of it at all. Even as I'm looking at, I'm like, I don't remember the name of it being Minari, but whatever that looks great. I thought the trailer looked fascinating. I especially loved in the trailer, the banter between the kid and the grandma, you don't do what a regular grandma does. I mean, That was adorable. I love that stuff. But yes, this is a movie that looks really – if you guys haven't seen the trailer for it, uh, take Dexter's advice. Go check it out. Just search YouTube for uh, Minari trailer. It looks really good, and I'm, I'm very excited to check it out when we get the chance. All right, guys, that'll do it. For today's installment of the John Cambia Show, thank you guys so much for making this show a part of your day. Thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett for being here, of course, as always, bringing his glory and goodness. Special thank you to all of you guys who sent in the live questions because... Number one, you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel while you did it. By the way, guys, we want to remind you, if you come across a piece of news that you think we should have as a main topic here on the John Campion Show, just go anytime. It's totally free to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Just fill out the form with the with your uh, topic, hit submit, and you just might see your submission featured as one of our main topics here on the John Campion Show. Guys, that'll do it for me for now. Congratulations on making it through to the end of another week. May you have a glorious, wonderful weekend ahead of yourselves. And get ready for another week full of triumph and victory come Monday, and we will see you then. Guys, just so you know, uh, Open Mic will be on Sunday this weekend because Ann and I are going out of town tonight and won't be back in time for tomorrow. But we will do our Open Mic on Sunday. So if if you are one of our regular Open Mic viewers, that's when Open Mic will be is on Sunday. Guys, thanks a lot for being here. Remember to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. And also, one other thing to those of uh, my international friends who are American viewers, I'm not an American citizen. You know, I'm a permanent alien resident, but I'm not an American citizen. I don't get to vote. You guys have a big election coming up, and I just want to encourage all of you, whichever whichever way you lean, uh, just make sure you – because a lot of us here who live in this country, we don't get the right to vote, and you have that right. Make sure you guys go out and exercise that right to vote, uh, and please make sure you guys do that. Anyway, guys, that'll do it for me. Thanks a lot for being here. My name is John Campion. Until next time, my friends, bye-bye.